Amen. All right. If you don't have a Bible yet, go ahead and grab one off the back table. There's a couple stacks of blue ones. And we're going to be in the book of James. And tonight, I'm going to ask you guys to answer a simple question. And it's a question I want you to be thinking. It's not a yes or no question. That's a good, that's a good try, though. No. It does have to do with Jesus, yes. But I'm going, to a- I'm going to ask you to decide if you're a one, two, or three tonight. Let me explain to you what that means. Tonight is this passage that we're stepping into. We're going to finish up James chapter 2 tonight. And we're going to be in James chapter 2 from verse 14 all the way through to verse 26. And as we look at this passage tonight, what we're going to see in here is James is talking about faith. He's talking about this, this thing that we have that we say we believe in God or we trust in God. And as we walk through it, we actually see three kinds of faith. You see a dead faith, a dumb faith, and a dynamic faith. So my question for you tonight as we step into this is go ahead and start thinking. As, as, you're, as you're walking through this, as you're seeing what James is talking about, I want you to ask yourself, am I a one, two, or three? Am I a person that has a dead faith? Do I have a dumb faith? Or do I have a dynamic faith? And we're going to talk about what those three things mean as we walk through it. But before we do that, I want to ask you the questions I always ask you so we know what we're looking at, who's writing this book, who he's writing it to, all of those good things. So, who wrote the book? James. Who is James? Brother of Jesus. I'm going to ask him anyway, even if y'all blurt him out, all right? Who was this book written to? Jewish Christians and house churches. When do we believe it was written? Okay, and why did he write this book? Yes, you guys got this. Awesome. It, it matters. Those questions, the answer to those questions, ladies and gentlemen, they matter because when you read Scripture, you need to understand what was the original intent? What was the purpose? Why was this book written so that we can look at something that was written hundreds and thousands of years ago and realize what does that mean for us today? If we can understand the purpose then, it helps us understand the purpose for our lives through it today. So, I'm going to ask you to do what I ask you to do every week. If you will stand in the honor of reading the Word of God, I'm going to read us through this passage tonight. James chapter 2, verse 14. I just broke my Bible. (laughs) It's okay, it was already coming apart. The good thing is it opened to the right page. Here we go. James chapter 2, verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well, even the demons believe and shudder. Do you even, or excuse me, do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works 
is dead. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to be here tonight, God. And, and Lord, I just pray that as, as we walk through this tonight, as we look at this passage, God, I pray that you will use it to speak into each one of our lives. Lord, help us to examine ourselves, look at the faith that we have in you, and, and determine what kind of faith that is. God, help each one of us to know that we've encountered you tonight because we've been in the presence of your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can go ahead and have a seat. All right, so remember, you're going to be asking yourself that question the whole time. Am I a one, a two, or a three? Do I have a dead faith, a dumb faith, or a dynamic faith? Now, before we step into this passage, I want to stop for a second. Because if you've read through Scripture, or if you've read some of Paul's writings in the New Testament, what we just read may look like Paul and James are writing things that are in contradiction to each other. And let me explain to you what I mean by that. If you go back and you read both of their writings, we just saw that James says, faith without works is dead. So it looks like James is saying that, that you, you can have faith, but if you don't have something that comes out of it, then you don't really have faith. That, that you're not justified. And he talked about Abraham and said it was counted to him righteousness because of the things he did, because of his faith in God, and that he carried that out through his works and his willingness to sacrifice his son. And yet, when you read Paul... Paul doesn't bring works into it at all. In fact, in the New Testament, in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, Paul writes this. He says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is saying that justification, justification is this. It's understanding that you're a sinner, asking Jesus to forgive you of your sins, and pursuing Him with the rest of your life. Scripture tells us that when you do that, when you believe that, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, in that moment, you are justified before God. It means that guilt, that punishment that you, I, we all deserve for our sin is taken away because Christ took that on the cross. And what Paul is saying is that we are justified by faith. And it's only through our faith in God that makes us right before God. And it's not dependent on anything else. He writes a similar thing in Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 8. He says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. See, Paul is being very clear right here in these passages. He's saying that you receive forgiveness of your sin. You receive salvation from your sin by faith. It's only through the grace that God gives us, the ability we have to trust in Him. It's not because of anything that we do. We, we can't be good enough. We, we can't do all of the right things to make God happy because at the end of the day, we're still sinners. So we've got to cling to the cross of Jesus. We've got to trust that He rose from the dead. Because if it was based on something you or I could do, then we wouldn't be bragging about God when we talk about faith. We'd be talking about ourselves. Look at what I did to earn my way to God. There's a lot of other religions in this world that tell you you need to act a certain way, you need to, to perform a certain way, you need to think a certain way, and if you do all of those things the right way, you might work your way to God. But that's not what Scripture tells us is the real deal. Scripture tells us that we can't do all of those things and work our way to God. That's why God already came to us. That's why Jesus died on a cross. That's why He rose from a tomb. So what Paul says here is right. Faith and salvation, it's a gift from God. Faith is hope in Jesus Christ that He actually died on the cross for us, that He actually gave His life, that He actually conquered death, and He conquered sin. Hebrews 11.1 tells us that. Faith is hope 
and conviction. Conviction that God is who He said He is. Conviction that Jesus did what He said He was going to do. And that's why I want to make sure we look at that because as we step into this passage here tonight, we look at what James is saying and it almost looks like James is saying something different on the surface, but really James and Paul are saying the exact same thing. James is taking what Paul has said and James is actually building onto that. And as he walks through this, he calls out those three different kinds of faith. There's the dead faith, the dumb faith, and the dynamic faith. And that's why I want you to keep asking yourself that question tonight. Which one do I have? Because every single person in this room has some type of faith. And it's one of these three. So let's walk through and see what those three look like. The first one is a dead faith. That is what you could call a head response to the Word of God. That means you, you, you get the facts. You understand God is God. Jesus is Jesus. He died on the cross. He rose from a tomb. You can recite all of those facts about who God is and what Jesus has done. Look at what it says again in verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. James is talking here about how our faith is connected to the things that we actually do. Faith should be accompanied by good works is what James is saying here. If you truly have a faith in God, in what Jesus has done, it should show in your life. And, th and there's no contradiction here between Paul and what James is saying. Faith is only from God, but our faith should lead us to action. James is talking about in these first couple verses, he's talking about a head knowledge faith. It's a faith that, quite honestly, it's dead. When you have a dead faith, when you have this, this head knowledge, your faith may look alive for a while. You, you go to church and, and you do the right things and you make sure that everybody sees you doing the right things. And, and you can fool people for a while. I actually had somebody that explained it to me very simply here recently. They said they didn't really like going to a church because they felt like everybody at the church was using it as a front. They showed up, they did all the right stuff, but then outside of church, that knowledge in no way affected the way they lived their life. Other than occasionally saying, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. But it didn't really affect what they thought. It didn't really affect what they thought, what they said, what they did. He's talking about here, he's saying that when you have that kind of faith, that's a dead faith. If you know all the things about God, but that knowledge never translates into actually doing what God has called you to do as a disciple of Jesus, then your faith is dead. And that's not where Jesus wants us to live. In fact, let me give you, there's actually, there's, there's three markers of a dead faith. There's three ways to see if you actually have a dead faith. One of them is this. A dead faith is accompanied by an empty conviction, or excuse me, an empty confession. Let me tell you what that means. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Scripture tells us at the moment you put your faith and trust in Jesus, the Holy Spirit of God dwells within you. And you're different. You are not the person you were before that moment. And when, when the Holy Spirit dwells within you, that sin that, that used to be fine in your life now brings conviction. You're not okay with that stuff anymore. 
you begin to grow as you pursue that relationship with Jesus and there's a change from who you were. If there's no change from that moment forward, the way that you lived and thought and spoke and treated people the day after you say you put your faith and trust in Christ is exactly the same as it was the day before, then it's a dead faith. Because you've got the knowledge, but that knowledge, it's, it's an empty confession. Second way you can recognize a dead faith is this, a lack of compassion. If you look at the life of Jesus, you see compassion throughout His entire life. There's one such example in Mark chapter 6, verse 34. Jesus was on a boat. It says, when He went ashore, He saw a great crowd and He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And He began to teach them many things. When, when Jesus looked at people, Jesus had compassion for people. He saw their physical needs, yes, but he saw their greater need, which was a spiritual need. A need to know that God loved them. A need to know that he was the answer to the problem that every single person in all of creation for all of time has. He had compassion on people. And faith that does not have compassion is a dead faith. And the third way to recognize a dead faith is this. It's a lack of conviction. John 14 verse 15. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's pretty straightforward, isn't it? Now, we've all heard commandments from Scripture that maybe we've struggled with keeping before. For instance, honor your father and mother. Anybody ever struggle with that one? Yeah, everybody in this room, absolutely. Or, or other passages in Scripture where we call the Great Commission where Jesus says, go forth and make disciples, baptizing them in my name. Do we do that? Do we share the Gospel with people? Do we teach them what it looks like to follow God? Or the Scripture where it says, I am not my own. I've been bought with a price. Therefore, I need to honor Christ with my body. We don't always remember that one, do we? See, what, what he's telling us here, what we understand from this, is that you may know all the church answers and you may know all the Bible verses and you may know the lyrics to all the songs, but your faith stops right there. And when that's the case, it's a dead faith. It's a head response. You have knowledge, but if that knowledge doesn't go any further than that, your faith is dead. So are you number one? Are you sitting here tonight do you have a dead faith? Let's look at the next one. A dumb faith. It's a head response and even a heart response. Look at what James says here. Chapter 2, verse 18. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show, your faith, show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. Verse 19. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Now, right there in verse 19, James is referring back to Old Testament Scriptures. There's a passage in Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's actually called the Shema. And in that chapter, in that passage in chapter 6 of Deuteronomy, there's in verse 4, he's quoting that when he says, you believe that God is one, you do well. Because in that passage in Deuteronomy, it says, Deuteronomy, the Lord our God is one. So he's going to a familiar passage. This was part of a daily prayer that these Christians, these Jewish believers, would have been familiar with. He's saying, hey, you know, you have a head knowledge. Great. That's awesome. 
you know who God is. But then he goes on here and he says, you're responding, and that's really good, but even the demons have the same head knowledge that you have. Even, even they believe that, that, that God is real. They have that knowledge. And they sometimes take it further than you do. It says that they shudder. They actually respond in fear to who God is. We see a head knowledge, a head response, and we see a heart knowledge. Demons say, I know who God is, and it scares them. They have an emotional response to it, a physical response to it because of their fear. But he says, you do well. But even the demons do that. He's saying that's, that's a dumb faith. You see, the demons know who God is, but they don't believe in God. There's a difference there. Dumb faith is one that can feel God's presence. You know all the facts, and, and it's one that, that you may even hear God speaking to you to the point that you know God's showing you that you need to do something, and, and you need to honor Him with your life, and, and maybe you feel it so powerfully, it brings you to tears. And you have that emotional response to who God is. And we can talk about that experience and, and this is what God showed me and this is what God called me to do and it was incredible and I just felt His presence and it brought me to tears and I was convicted of my sin and it was amazing. And we talk about those things but then it stops. And we experienced it but then we never did anything with it. See, that head response and that heart response, they're both there but if we stop there, that's a dumb faith. Because we've got to actually do something with it. For instance, if any one of you in here tonight spontaneously combusted, you just caught on fire. Please don't. What are the three things you were taught as a child if you ever caught on fire? Stop, drop, and roll. Okay? I figured y'all probably know that one. If you didn't know that one, memorize it now. But here's the thing. If you caught on fire, you've got a couple options. You can do, you can put into action the knowledge that you have. Because once you catch on fire, your emotions are going to kick in real quick. Because that burning, that pain feeling that you're going to have all over your body is going to start telling your brain, hey, do something right now. But if you just stand there and burn up, or as some might do, take off running out of the room screaming your head off, I'm on fire! I honestly believe some of you would do that. Hey, do either one of those save you from that fire? No! They both kill you. You know the facts. You know what you should do. You have the knowledge. You're feeling the pain. But if you don't do what you know you're supposed to do, you're dumb. And you're probably dead. That's what happens. But listen, if you know the knowledge to stop, drop, and roll, and you feel the pain that tells you, do this, and then you actually do it, you're putting what you know and what you feel into action. But if you never take that step, that's what he's talking about here. That's that dumb faith. Knowledge and feeling that don't lead you to action, it's a dumb faith. So is that yours tonight? You have a dumb faith. You know all the right things, and that's amazing. And, and you've, had, 
you've had incredible emotional experiences with God. Maybe it's been here. Maybe it's been at camp or summer fun week or some other time when you've been by yourself and you, you've just felt the presence of God and you know God's talking to you and you know what God's calling you to do. Maybe it's brought you to tears or it's brought you great joy and those have been incredible experiences and they are. And those are things to celebrate. But if all of that has not moved you to action, then you've got a dumb faith. Is that yours tonight? And then there's the last one, the three, a dynamic faith. It's a head response. It's a heart response. It's a hands response. It's moving to action with what you know and what you feel. Look at what it says starting in verse 20. It says, Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Now this is where we start to see maybe that contradiction again that is appear, uh, appears to be there between what Paul wrote and what James is writing. Paul said, remember, faith is only in and from and through Jesus James appears to say here that, that faith in and from Jesus, that that's the real thing. But he also seems to be saying, you've got to have works to be justified. But there's not a contradiction what's going on here. James is saying that justification, being made right with God, is only through faith. He's agreeing with Paul. You don't get to heaven by what you do. You don't have a right relationship with God. You're not made righteous before Him. Spotless, clean. All of those words that we see in Scripture, you don't get that by the things that you do. You get that because of who Jesus is and what He's done. But James is explaining that that faith that you have is then evident to everyone else by the things that you do. By the way that you live your life. Justification only comes through Jesus, but belief requires a next step. And he gives some incredible examples here. Maybe you've not read some of those Old Testament accounts. Abraham, he talks about Abraham. That actually happened in Genesis chapter 22. God came to Abraham. God made Abraham a promise. He said, Abraham, I want you to look at the sky. I want you to look at the number of stars. Abraham, your offspring are going to outnumber the stars. And then God allows Abraham and his wife to have a son. And a couple years in, God comes to Abraham and says, Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your son. Now, if you stop and think about the logic of that, how in the world is Abraham's family, his offspring, going to outnumber the stars if God just said, Abraham, kill your only boy? If his son dies, the whole family line dies. And yet, Scripture tells us as you read through that account, that Abraham trusted God. God made a promise to Abraham about his family and what God was going to do through him. And even though what God was asking Abraham to do now made no logical sense whatsoever, Abraham trusted God. And he took Isaac and he prepared Isaac 
the way that God told him to. He even got Isaac there and was getting ready to kill his one and only son. And then God said, stop. And God provided another sacrifice. And what we see there is that Abraham, he obeyed God and God rewarded his faithfulness by sparing Isaac and keeping his promise. Abraham was willing to put action to what he knew. He was willing to put hands and feet to what he felt about what God had told him. And in doing so, he proved that his faith was real. And God did what God said He was going to do because that's what God always does. And then he gives another example, Rahab. Have you guys ever heard of her before? Does anybody know who Rahab was? Yeah, she was a prostitute. Have you heard of the city of Jericho and, and everybody, the Israelite nation army walking around the walls like they never actually attacked the walls. They walked around the walls for days and days and then they gave a big shout and the walls <laughs> fell down and they were able to overtake the city. Well, before they ever did that, what happened is the Israelite leaders sent some spies into Jericho and Rahab, who was a prostitute in this city, she had a faith in God. And she took those spies and she hid them. And she helped them escape with their lives. And Scripture tells us if you go through and you follow that account, you see that, that through Rahab, the Israelite nation was, supposed to, was able to do what they were supposed to do. Because of her faith in God, she was spared when Jericho was con conquered by God's people. And here's the amazing thing. If you go from where that happened in the Old Testament to the lineage of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1, verse 5, you actually see Rahab's name shows up in the lineage of Jesus. Rahab is the great-great-grandmother of King David. Do you see what God did there? He took a woman who by that society, that time's standards, was absolutely bottom of the barrel of society. But because she had faith in God, and because she acted on that faith in a way that could have cost her her very life. God found her faithful. And God saved her. And God grafted her into the lineage of Jesus Christ. That's incredible. That's what a dynamic faith looks like. A dynamic faith will lead you to action. A head response, I know what's true about God. A heart response, I feel what God's calling me to do. And a hands response, now I'm going to do it. That is what we see when we walk through this passage. Because that kind of faith, that's something that is exciting. Because when you have a dynamic faith, you begin to see God working not only in your life, but how He's using you and, and working in the lives of people around you. You get to be a part of what He's doing. And I told you how you can spot a dead faith. Guess what? Those same things can help you spot a dynamic faith. The same verses, 2 Corinthians 5.17, instead of an empty confession, you have a true confession. A person who has a dynamic faith, their life is changed. They are not who they were before they met Jesus Christ. They have a true confession. They have a true compassion. You look at people and people move you to action. He talked about in those first couple verses of this passage, how you can see somebody who has a need, who's hungry and cold, and you can tell them, go be warm and be filled and never actually give them anything to take care of that problem. You're not moved to action. 
But if we're going to live a life like Jesus calls us to live, that true compassion, we see a need. It's hard to see a need and not meet that need if you're able to meet it. And the third way is a true conviction. Conviction that Jesus is who He said He is. Conviction that He will do what He said He will do. So which faith are you tonight? Do you have a dead faith? Do, do you have that faith where you're showing up on Wednesdays and you're showing up on Sundays and, and maybe you're going to camp and, and D-Now and you've gotten all the facts and you take great notes, but it never moves beyond what you know. If that's you tonight, it's a dead faith. And that's not the kind of faith that God calls us to. Or, or, or what about the dumb faith? You know all the facts. You've had the emotional experiences. You've had the cry fests. And you felt God. And, and please don't, I'm not mocking that. I'm not trying to make fun of that. But if we don't ever move past that, it's a dumb faith because we know what God's calling us to do and we don't do anything with it. Your life in this building, with this group, looks absolutely nothing like your life the rest of the week, that's a dead or a dumb faith. Or are you a number three tonight? Do you have a dynamic faith? You know what God's calling you to do. You feel what God's calling you to do. And you're actually trying to live it out. I want to ask you guys to close your eyes. Bow your heads. And I'm going to ask you for a moment tonight with nobody, and I mean absolutely nobody looking around. Nobody looking around. Nobody. I want to ask you if you would be brave enough, as you've thought about this question tonight, if you've figured out which one is your faith, dead, dumb, or dynamic, one, two, or three, again, nobody looking around, I want to pray for you and wherever you are in your relationship with God. So I'm going to ask you, if you're willing, you don't have to if you don't want to, but if you know which one you are, would you just slip your hand up holding up that many fingers, one, two, or three? Nobody's looking. Slip it up and hold it up so I can see it because I want to pray for you. Okay? Nobody looking. This is a private thing. Okay. You can put them down. My question to you is this. If you held up a one or a two, what is stopping you from living out the faith that God has called you to? What is holding you back? What is so important that you can't let it go and cling to the cross of Jesus? And if you don't have an answer for that, maybe it's time to let it go. Maybe it's time to let your faith move you to action. To do what God's calling you to do. To be the young man, the young woman that He has created you to be. So that God can work in and through you. And so that others can see who He is in your life. If, if you're here tonight and you're in one of those two categories, that can change tonight. You may be here tonight and, and you say, you know what, I don't have any of those. I'm not a one, two, or three because I've never even 
put my faith and trust in God. I've never asked God to forgive me of my sin. Let me tell you this. God sent His Son for you. For your sin. For my sin. And He wants nothing more in this world than to have a relationship with you. And if you are to the point where you understand that you're a sinner and you can't fix it, and you are ready tonight to say, God, I'm a sinner. I need your forgiveness. I need to know what that love and that mercy and that grace feels like. You can do that tonight. And there's no magic words. Scripture tells us you admit you're a sinner. You believe that Jesus did what He said He did. He died on the cross. He rose from the tomb to pay for our sins. And you confess Him as Lord of your life with your mouth. It tells us in that moment you are saved. And if you're here tonight and you've never done that and you want that relationship, you want that faith that we've been talking about, you have the opportunity to do that right now, right where you sit. And if you do that right now, right where you sit, let me encourage you. As soon as we stand, as soon as we start singing, I'm going to be standing right down here on the front right. Come tell me if you made that decision tonight because I want to celebrate with you about what God's doing in your life. God, we thank you for who you are. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that, that as, we, as we look at who you've called us to be and the faith that you've called us to have in you, God, God, that we can see that it's not just about knowledge. It's not just about emotion, God. It's about acting on all of those things and living out what we say we believe, what this whole book's been about. God, I pray for each group in this room tonight, God, for everyone who raised their hands and, and said, I'm a, I'm a one. I know the facts, God, but I'm not doing anything after that. God, I pray. God, I pray that you will help everyone in that group, the number ones, the dead faith, God, to come alive in you tonight. God, to not just know who you are, but to feel your presence, God, and then to do what you're calling them to do. God, I pray that for the second group, for those with a dumb faith, God, who identify with that. They know you. God, they know the knowledge and they felt your presence, God. Help them now to step into action and live out that relationship. God, for those who raised their hand for number three, God, I pray, continue to draw them to yourself. Continue to encourage them, God. Make this a group that moves together to, towards you. Make this a group that moves together towards a community. To show people who you are. And God, if there's anybody in here tonight, they don't have a faith in you yet. God, I pray you'll give them the courage and the boldness right now to let go of whatever's being held on to in their life and cling cross of Christ. God, we thank you for who you are. It's in Jesus' name we pray.